say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing back. Stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now, Oh, right now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now?
overcome what may Cause I know you're able And I know you care
Good morning, Cyprus Bible Church fam. It's great having y'all here with us. It's great having you worship here. Whether you're here in person or you're online today, welcome. Beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus is our desire for all followers of Jesus here at CBC. So whether you're a brand new child in the faith or a believer who has been on your faith journey for quite some time, we want to continually conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And starting today, we're going to begin our church-wide alignment series called Becoming More Like Jesus. And we're going to study and learn how we become more like our Savior through different stories in the Gospel of Luke. And we're really excited as all ministries on our church campus will journey together for these next seven weeks. And so if you go to our church website, www.cypressbible.org becoming, uh, you're going to be able to find in information on how to join a grow class or a grow group uh, in order to participate with others as we go through this series. And I hope that you'll all join us. I don't know about you all, but this uh, past week, like many recent weeks, has been another unsettling one. Uh, I myself have actually struggled mightily as I'm trying to understand and see what God is doing right now. And to be honest, to be real with you all, I'm pretty discouraged because I see this country that I love struggling mightily, but even more devastating is I see the body of Christ struggling as well. Because the body of Christ that I'm seeing is not living in deed and action and words, the gospel truth with what's going on right now. And I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine at the gym and we were talking about everything that's going on. And a lot of us Christians were asking, what do we do? What's going on? What can we do about it? And that's something we ask, right? What do we do about that here in the United States? What do we do about that here in Texas and in Cyprus? And he was saying, why don't we shift your mindset a little bit? And I was like, well, what do you mean, Cody? And he said, let's not talk about what do we do, but where do we go? And I asked him to explain a little bit more to me. And, and he said this, I'm going to read this. He said, what shall we do? He said, that's the wrong question for us as Christians to ask or think. The, but the better question for us to ask is, where, to whom shall we go? As in given in John 6, 68, when Peter's interacting with Jesus. And so that's the question that the world needs to have answered right now. It's not about what, but instead who. And the answer is Jesus. So let us come together right now as a church, as the bride of Christ, and shout, Hosanna. Let us cry out to the God, the only one who can and has delivered us, the one who has saved us. Lord God, receive our praise this morning. Praise is rising, eyes are turned. 
should take a seat for a moment. Hosanna, God save us now. You might have uttered those very words this week. I think that uh, one of the most troubling things for me, and perhaps for you, is to uh, see what happened in our nation's capital and see signs that said Jesus and Jesus saves and crosses and other Christian emblems and verses on placards. And so as we say Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we must be very careful that those who claim to be in the name of the Lord are actually following him. And so my concern for you as a pastor is that uh, God would minister to your heart and give you wisdom to know how to live for him in this day and age. Frankly, I imagine that some of you are perhaps frightened, anxious. Others of you are outraged or angry. Some of you are confused, conflicted. And there are some of you, I have no idea what's going on. But we must, as we gather together and point to Jesus, which is our reason for being here, be reminded of the truth of God's Word and the need for us to follow that Word and be light in a dark world. So let me pray for you, for myself, right now. Let's join together. Lord our God, you are our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Lord, your promises of protection and presence in our midst are not to a nation, they're not to a government, they're to your people, your plan, your purpose in this world. And so Lord, I would pray that you would minister your peace and your wisdom to each one who names your name, that we would be your people in this place at this time by your grace and strength and mercy. Lord, I can't begin to know the hearts and the needs, the concerns, the minds, the attitudes of even those in our church, let alone around this country. But you know. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, minister and lead and guide in the ways that are needed to each of us. Lord, we declare that you, the Almighty, are with us. That you, our God, are our fortress. May we declare your greatness rather than our own. May we honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the one who saves and humbly bow before you and honor you with the praise that you deserve. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, I pray. Amen. Friends, can we stand together and declare the greatness of the living God?
king above all kings. Lord, we praise your holy name for all you are, all you've done and continue to do. Lord, we praise you. We declare together as one body, great are you, Lord. Friends, can we sing this together? life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken now here it is sing it out and great are you Lord it's your in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only let's sing that verse again you give life you give life you bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. To the glory of God. Sing this. All the earth. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Sing it.
declare it together. So we've just sung, great are you, Lord. Lord, receive our praise and be blessed. Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. As you go ahead and take a seat for just a moment, I want to ask that you turn your attention to the screens. Hi, we are William and Joni Brown, and we live in North Africa with our two youngest boys, Nathaniel and Zachary. Here we are involved with church development and church planting. Psalm 4016 says, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. But what does the word great mean? We use it in daily context when we say that was a great meal or that was a great performance. We can even talk about someone uh, like he's a great guy. But how did we describe the author of life, the creator of the universe, who out of nothing created everything? Can we use that word great to describe God? We just sang this song, uh, Great Are You, Lord. And right now we're transitioning into another song, How Great Is Our God. And as we look at this word great and how great our God is, we want to consider four aspects of the greatness of God. First is the greatness of His majesty, His kingly glory. He's not just king over a tribe or a nation. He is king over heaven and earth. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Second is the greatness of His holiness. First John 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. The word holy means to be set apart. So when we talk about God being great in His holiness, He is other. He's not like us. He is holy. He is, he is other. He's not just great in His majesty. He's not just exalted, but he is great in his otherness. Third is the greatness of his eternality, Alpha and Omega. He never had a beginning and he never had an end. Nothing came before him and nothing came after him. Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not only is he before and after time, but he also controls time. Every century, every year, every month, every day, every second, time is in His hands. Finally is the greatness of His mercy. It's one thing to talk about God being great, but He's also good. Uh, he's, he's the lion and the lamb. As great as God is in His majesty and His holiness and His eternality, it's truly when we consider His mercy that we are in awe. He is great in His mercy. And in His mercy, He adopted us as sinners into, into His family. And that's why we can sing together, How Great Is Our God.
are clothed with splendor and majesty. Let's sing this together. The splendor of the King Cold in majesty Let all the earth rejoice Let all the earth rejoice The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment He stretches out the heavens wraps himself he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide he trembles at his voice he trembles at his voice now sing this out how great is our God Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered rain. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Age to age. And age to age, you said. And time is in his hand. Beginning and the end. Beginning and the end. The God that created one. Father Spirit 
God's people said, amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. Are you uh, planning to start off the new year by joining a gym? Over 64 million Americans pay a membership to a fitness center or health club, and the majority of those people never, ever go. 63% of all fitness memberships are completely unused. Of those who join a gym in January, 80% quit by Easter. Why? Well, some of the reasons given are they're too busy, they feel judged by the people there, they don't know how to use the equipment, they don't want to socialize with people, and they lack motivation. Some of those same reasons might be keeping you from becoming more like Jesus. Today we start a series that's vital for your spiritual growth. Whether you're just beginning to explore Christianity or you're a long-time believer with extensive biblical knowledge, I can tell you what God's will for your life is this year, to become more like Jesus. You might feel too busy to invest the time, the effort. Maybe you feel like other people will judge you, that you don't know more or for not measuring up. You might not know how to use the equipment, that is, how to study the Bible and feel uncertain. Or maybe you feel too advanced for this kind of thing. Maybe you don't want to be around other people. Or you're just not motivated enough to put some effort into spiritual growth. But I pray that God would enlighten and empower you over these next seven weeks of this series. We're studying the Gospel of Luke and what it has to teach us through seven different passages in Luke uh, about becoming more like Jesus. Uh, this morning, the theme is growing like Jesus. Growing like Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 2. And here we have recorded the only story in the Bible about Jesus as a boy. And I think because it's the only one, it's very familiar to many of us, most of us, but don't let that familiarity distract you from the very importance of this. Because this is not just a little bit of biographical information and background to help us give a better picture of Jesus. No, this is crucial. You realize that between his birth and his public ministry, Jesus lived for 30 years. And during three decades of life, don't you imagine a lot of different things happened? And yet this is the only one that's recorded. Why? It's crucial. It's vital. It's not just a matter of interest. It's a matter of importance. Now, this scene from Jesus' boyhood is a great example for us. Now, of course, Jesus' main mission in life was not to be the example. It was to be the Savior. But still, there is much for us to model. Uh, he is an example for us to follow. Um, I want to point out something to you as we go into this story from Luke chapter 2, 
And that is there is an inclusio. There is, in other words, a sandwich that happens. The passage, I would say, begins with verse 40 of chapter 2, and it says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of the Lord was upon him. And then the the account that we're going to study this morning comes in between, and then it ends, the passage ends with verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So in between, I want to point out to you five essentials for growing like Jesus. Five essentials. This is what happens. This describes uh, what, what the growth in Jesus' life and, and what happens in between exemplifies some of why that occurred. So let me point to you the first one. That your spiritual examples are essential to becoming more like Jesus. Your spiritual examples are. Verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. I would say that Mary and Joseph have an awful lot to teach us about parenting as well as being people of God. Uh, Not only here, but elsewhere in Scripture. It, It was their habit to go to Jerusalem every year for the feast. Now, Passover was one of the three great feasts that involved actually traveling to Jerusalem. And I want you to understand that this was only required of men. Not required of... This, this took tremendous interruption to your life. You, you leave your home, and in this case, a 60-mile journey for Joseph and Mary to leave, their, leave what they were doing and go to the temple for a period of time to worship and honor God. And so because of the difficulty of such a trip and interruption, women were not required to go. They could stay home and keep things together. But in Mary's case, she went with Joseph every year. Every year. And most people only stayed one of the seven days of this feast. You can understand why. I mean, by the time you get there, and you say, it's a lot of investment. But the very next verse tells us that Mary and Joseph stayed to the end of the Feast of Passover. And so what's happening here is that Mary and Joseph aren't just fulfilling a duty. They they were doing something out of devotion to their God. And when Jesus was 12, he went with them. Why then? Well, a boy was bar mitzvahed at age 13. That is uh, the ceremony where he becomes a son of the commandment. And it was customary. You notice the the last word there is custom. The, The custom was for the boy who would be bar mitzvah to go the year before to see how things transpired, to just get a look at things. And so that's when Jesus went. Now this glimpse into Jesus' family life challenges us, I think, about spiritual examples, being them and having them in our lives. Let me ask you, does your family witness your love for God? Do they see you eager to worship? Do they see you actively participate in serving God? Do they know you give God priority over other things in your life? Are you demonstrating that? The example you set for your children is spiritually formative for those children. The example that you are to those around you is crucial. And I would say that some of you are not growing in Christ and will not grow in Christ because you need different friends. Uh, 
absolutely spend time with people who don't know Jesus. Absolutely. But don't model your life after them. Don't, don't allow them to be your great influences. And maybe this year you need to cultivate a relationship with one or more Christians whom you can imitate. If you spend no time with, with other mature Christians, you will stagnate rather than grow. So maybe you need to find time in this coming year to invest in others, children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, co-workers, those who need the example that you could give for them to be all God wants them to be, or those who can be examples to you so that you might grow in Christ. So the question is, who is influencing you, and who are you influencing? Now, the passage continues here, verse 43. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So Mary and Joseph started home without Jesus. Well, how could that happen? Those who would attend the feast, especially from a long distance, would travel in a caravan for safety, for just uh, uh, fellowship. And when you traveled by caravan, the women and the, the small children would be out in front, and the men and the young boys, the young men, would be in the back of the caravan. And, and so you understand that Jesus now, at age 12, fits in either category. He's not yet a son of the commandment. Uh, that's going to happen next year, but he's not a little baby either. And so Mary thinks he's with Joseph. Joseph thinks he's with Mary, and he's in either place. It's not until after traveling for an entire day they settle down to make camp for the night that they realize that neither of them has Jesus. And I, if you've experienced this, you know what I mean. Some panic moments when you can't find a child. It's happened to me. In fact, the, probably the time I was worst about it was I did not know that I was missing a child until he showed up. It, it happened once we left our youngest daughter at church. A Amy and our oldest daughter were in one car. They went home, and I went in another car, went home, and uh, we both thought the other had Carissa. Turns out she was playing under the pipe organ with her friend Molly, who was going to come over to our house for lunch that day. Um, and uh, when the girls popped up from underneath the pipe organ... Uh, they saw that the church building was dark and that there was nobody around. And uh, Carissa, we had just recently moved to a different house in town, had a different phone number. She didn't know the address. She didn't know the phone number. Uh, so Molly had to call her dad, who had to come all the way back from home. He'd just gotten there. Come back, pick up those kids. And I, and I asked Carissa about this this week. She said that uh, the look on our faces when the three of them rang our doorbell and we opened it was priceless. And she's also said she's really never forgiven me for this. But uh, didn't know she was missing. But you know, the, the, the panic of saying, where's my child at this moment? How must it feel to lose the Savior of the world? How must panic must they have been? Let, let's continue and discover. The second essential is your teachable spirit is essential to becoming more like Jesus. Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Tremendous amount of pain this incident brought to Mary and Joseph. Panic, because all of the time that transpired, 
You say, well, why three days? Well, they traveled out for a day, figured out he was gone. They had to travel back a day. And, and then Jerusalem is not a small place. They are searching the city. I don't believe that they anticipated he would be at the temple. I mean, there are many other things to see in Jerusalem. And they'd already been at the temple. So they didn't probably even think to look there and certainly did not expect him to find uh, there among the instructors, the professors, the doctors of the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. Hebrew scriptures now Jesus is not there as a teacher Jesus is there as a student well you say well doesn't he have tremendous knowledge and and superior insight yes and we'll see that in a moment but Jesus is not there to instruct he's there to listen and engage now the rabbis the the teachers sat in a circle, usually on the temple terrace or the temple porches, and the listeners sat on the ground among them. And I would imagine Jesus is likely the only boy there, the only one. And he listened as the rabbis expounded the scriptures and addressed the issues of life through the lens of their Bible. Just comprehend for a moment that the eternal Son of God sat at the feet of human teachers. His own creation. Jesus, the Son, is the one through whom and by whom all things were made. And he is sitting at the feet of human teachers. I would say that one of the most common obstacles to your spiritual growth is an unteachable spirit. I say that because I see it so often. And when you get to the point of where you think you know more than the average person or, or that they have nothing to teach you, growth stops now can some group bible studies be a pooling of ignorance at times but if that's how you look at them then you have failed theologically because every believer is a priest of god and every believer is indwelt by the holy spirit of god and therefore every believer can be used of god to teach you and to teach me in some way or another. You know, when I, instead of lecturing, am leading a group Bible study or just participating in a group discussion of a text, I can't tell you how many times someone has suggested an insight that I never saw before that I immediately recognize as true. I can't tell you how many times someone has asked a question about a text I know backwards and forwards that I've never considered before, and it needs to be answered. If you only feed yourself and you're not open to learning from others, growth will be stunted. When you are teachable, you will become more like Jesus. Third, your biblical understanding is essential to becoming more like Jesus. Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So everybody there could tell Jesus had amazing astounding insight these are the doctors these are the master teachers of the law and they kept on being amazed at this boy the verb tense here means they were repeatedly and continuously stunned by jesus jesus listened to them he dialogued with them in a way that made their eyes bulge out with astonishment why it was his understanding uh, the Greek word for understanding here is synesis. And it's 
the ability to put things together. Jesus was able to compare and combine many different facets of truth. Uh, one scholar says Jesus was deducting things from Scripture with the, which these teachers had never before seen, never found. Uh, Jesus embodied Psalm 119.99 uh, that, that says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your word. At the age of 12, Jesus demonstrates a key to growth and spiritual wisdom. It's to know and meditate on the Scriptures. You know, all, all the church programming I had as a kid, and I'm grateful for it, uh, all of it emphasized Bible memorization. I mean, whether it was a Sunday school class or a, um, a junior church or a midweek program, choir practice, I was in a kid's choir, we had to memorize verses for kid's choir. I thought that was a ripoff. But uh, all these things, I was encouraged to, to memorize Scripture. And I'm glad for the verses I memorized. But while important and helpful, it's just as important to understand how that word fits together and how to apply that word to real-life situations. Uh, you know, th this... Emma Green wrote an article in The Atlantic that called what happened on Wednesday Christian insurrection. Now, why would she say that? Because as she cataloged, all the Jesus signs and the Bible verses and the, the Christian songs that were being sung and the sentiments being expressed. Uh, that's an inability to put Scripture together when you come out with that kind of a result. Uh, that's an inability, inability to understand Scripture and apply it appropriately. Uh, th this failure to consistently and practically apply God's truth is a dangerous thing. And that's why I saw that Jericho march that happened in December as, as borderline blasphemy because of some of the things that occurred there. It's a failure to understand. Let me, let me define it for you. Understanding, this word synesis, means learning the context of the passage, comparing it to the rest of the Bible, and accurately applying the principles to your world. I was going to give you a whole bunch of examples of how there's some common verses that most people know that consistently, constantly misapply. And I'm not going to go through that list uh, this morning, but just tell you that this is what Jesus did. This is what we need to do. Uh, understanding is what Jesus had and developed, even as a boy at age 12. Be more like him. Reading through this book in 2021 will make a difference in your life. Meditating on one text every day for a week or for a month or for a year will make a difference in your life. This is the construction material. This is the tool the Holy Spirit will use to shape you more like Jesus. Fourth, your eagerness to serve is essential to becoming more like Jesus. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus had clear spiritual priorities, even at age 12. When Mary and Joseph saw what he was doing among the doctors at the temple, they were knocked senseless. It's the wording there. Mary recovers from her amazement and lets Jesus know how much he had worried them. And rightly so, 
She's very concerned. She's distressed about what he put them through. And Jesus seems surprised at the reaction. Um, He was not being disobedient. He was preoccupied with the things of God. Uh, He was clear on his identity and his purpose. Now now notice that Jesus does here declare his his divinity. Mary says, your father and I, we were so worried, your father and I. And Jesus replied, didn't you, plural, the you is plural, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So Jesus reminds them very subtly that Joseph is not his birth father, but he is the eternal son of God. His father rules the universe, and he says, in effect, I have to do what my heavenly father wants. That's the priority. And Jesus' whole life reflected that principle. He never sidetracked from God's will, even as it led him to death on the cross. Serving God was the consuming aim of his life. And you will not grow, you will not develop into all that God has for you if you are content to do your own thing. Oswald Chambers wrote that the best measure of spiritual life is not ecstasies, but obedience. That's a word that we need in our Christian world today. Not ecstasies, but obedience. Don't spend this year looking for spiritual highs and things to please yourself. Church hoppers, blessing shoppers, fad watchers, curiosity seekers will not mature. Those who roll up their sleeves and teach that class, worship with passion, deliver a meal, thank God in every circumstance, welcome the stranger, sacrifice for others, offer words of encouragement, use their spiritual gifts, work to build others up. Those are the people who will grow to be more like Jesus in this year because they're more interested in serving the God of the universe than they are in pleasing themselves, and so they become more like Jesus. Fifth, your willingness to submit is essential to becoming more like Jesus. Verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. This to me is one of the most astounding verses in the entire Bible. Why? Well, that word submissive, hupotasso is the Greek word. It means to place yourself under another. Uh, So, in other words, Jesus, who was and is the eternal Son of God, obeyed his own creation, placed himself under his own creation, took up his position in the home, though he is the perfect Son of God, Savior of the world. Without question, he willingly obeyed, submitted to his parents. Two frail human beings told God the Son what to do, and he did it. This is a mark of godliness. This is fertile ground in which growth happens. And this submitting, by the way, hupotasso is the same word uh, used throughout the New Testament. For instance, Ephesians 5.21, that when we're told to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That we're to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. It's the same word used in James 4 when it says, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, uh, so, so therefore submit yourself to God. And really that's where salvation begins, by the way. It's when you recognize that you can't save yourself. 
that there is only one remedy for your sin. There's only one escape from the judgment that you deserve, and that is the blood of Jesus. The perfect Son of God became flesh, paid the penalty for sin by his sacrificial death so that all who believe would be set free. His glorious resurrection guaranteed that victory. And by grace, through faith, you are given new life in Christ. You become a new creation. That only happens when you submit, when you humbly receive the gift of God. That's how that works. You humbly receive. You place yourself under God. You humbly receive what he has given. And so that's salvation. And then once your trust is in Jesus, you and I need to have this attitude of submission in order to become more like Jesus. Learning to humble yourself, to place the needs and the wishes of others before your own. Stubborn pride and fierce independence are enemies of humble submission. When you understand that God the Son submitted to human parents, you realize that submission doesn't make you any less important. When God assigns that role to you, it doesn't make you less important than someone else. God the Son did this for our salvation. Now, I've been asked numerous times why high-profile church leaders fail. Every time one happens, somebody usually asks me that question. Why do they fail? Well, I would say a big reason is an unwillingness to submit. You become too important in your own mind. You don't let others speak into your life. You're not teachable. You become a law unto yourself. Unless you submit out of reverence for Christ, your spiritual life will decay. My spiritual life will decay. When you and I willingly submit, we become more like Jesus. Note the conclusion here, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So the actions of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, they're, they're all part, about what, uh, part of what brought about this result here. The word increased means cutting a path forward. It's, it's like chopping through the jungle. Jesus methodically advanced, both in wisdom and maturity. His physical, mental, moral, spiritual development was, was perfect. And he brought, it says, grew in favor, the word for joy. He brought joy to his heavenly Father. He brought grace, graciousness from his heavenly Father and to all those around him. And I would say commit to these five essentials and the same will be true in your life. So let's cut to the chase. What's the least you could do today? What's the least you could do today? Participate in a grow group. That's the least you could do. I say, why? Well, this will be a way in which you can advance, take a step forward in all five areas. Spiritual examples. Um, You will either be an example for others, or there will be others you can follow after, or both. When you're part of a a group of other people trying to follow after Jesus, you can provide those spiritual examples. Second, teachability. By God's grace, you can learn from anyone and everyone, even if it's what not to do and who not to be. 
Third, scriptural understanding. No matter how well-versed you are, there's always more to discover from God's Word. I'm astounded by this as I studied God's Word the entirety of my life. I'm consistently amazed at what I learn and need to be reminded of. Thomas Goodwin said that in Christ are treasures that require digging until the end of the world. Here those treasures are found. Service. You'll have more opportunity to minister to the needs of others as part of a group. You can pray for them. You can worship together. You can bless each other. You can help each other meet needs with one another. Submission. Placing yourself under others is the unique calling of the Christian. And may I say, it's rather un-American. But it's very much like Jesus. Submission. God isn't as concerned with delivering you out of the mess you are as he is in seeing you grow out of the mess you are. So that mess that you're in right now, God isn't as wrapped up in that as he's wanting you to grow to be more like Jesus. Maybe today you are so preoccupied with the mess you're in that you're unable to hear God calling you to be more like Christ. And the worst thing you can do is hunker down. The worst thing you can do is avoid engaging with God's people, dodge investing in, in their lives, avoid worship, avoid prayer, avoid Bible study. It is hazardous, not simply to your spiritual growth, but to your whole life. What's the least you could do? You could join a grow group. In fact, there's an open group that follows this service today, 11 o'clock in the Java room. You could walk in and be part of that this morning. You know, for 20 years, Gallup has been uh, polling Americans, asking them to rate their mental and emotional well-being. And the latest poll, mid-November 2020, showed the largest drop ever in those who said their mental and emotional health was excellent. Every single category showed a significant dip in well-being. Men and women, white, non-white, married, unmarried, young, old, rich, poor, Democrat, Republican. Only one group had an increase in mental and emotional well-being. Weekly churchgoers. Weekly churchgoers. Even people who said they attended church monthly had a 12% decrease in their emotional well-being. But people who attended church services weekly, worshipped weekly with God's people, had a 4% increase in their mental and emotional health during a pandemic. Now I say that not to promote, oh, you'll grow to be more like Jesus, just come to church. No, I say that just to recognize that those who are pursuing God, those who are actively seeking to be more like Christ, their mental and emotional well-being is going to benefit and grow. And so today, uh, because of this, I'm worshiping with God's people, and I'm going to spend this afternoon with my grow group so that together we can become more like Jesus, and you should too. 
let me bring this service to a close. I'm going to ask you to stand and receive this benediction. Receive these words from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. What is this love that won't relent? That's calling out with heaven's breath. Who's reaching wide to save our souls? Only you. What is this grace that makes no sense? That we could never recompense. Who gives us all a second chance?